Ah! Well, that's a uh, long way to pull a tooth. <laughs> huh. Darn kids. Well, good thing I pulled the right one, eh, Prime Minister? Oh, Nigel, you just missed an extraction. Oh, has he loosened the periodontal ligament with the elevator yet? Oh, what am I talking about? Nemo, where's Nemo? I've got to speak with him. What? What is it? Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. My father? Really? Really? Oh, yeah. He's traveled hundreds of miles. He's been battling sharks and jellyfish, sharks? all sorts of... That can't be him. Are you sure? What was his name? Uh, some sort of sport fish or something. Tuna? Uh, trout? Marlin? That's it. Marlin, the little clownfish from the reef. It's my dad. He took on a shark. I heard he took on three. Three? Three? Three sharks? It's going to be 4,800 teeth. You see, kid, after you were taken by Diver Dan over there, your dad followed the boat you were on like a maniac. Really? He's swimming and he's swimming and he's giving it all he's got. And then three gigantic sharks capture him. He blows him up. And then dive starts to meet and he's chased by a monster with huge teeth. He ties this thing to the rock. Once he gets the reward, he gets to battle an entire jellyfish forest. But now he's riding with a bunch of sea turtles on the East Australian current. And the word is he's headed this way right now. Disney. Wow. Oh, what a good theory. <laughs> he was looking for you after all, Sean. So if you have kids or you have grandkids, no doubt you know that that's Finding uh, Nemo. It's a great story, great movie about um, a little fish that gets lost and gets swept across the ocean, and his father is determined in all-out search to find his lost son. You know, have you ever, do you have a memory of, of getting lost as a kid? I certainly do. Um, and when I was a kid, I very, very vividly remember getting lost, actually, of all places here in Salina. We grew up north of here on a farm. And my mom brought us three kids down to see my Aunt Kathy, who lived here with her four kids, all of us under the age of maybe eight or nine. So it was a recipe for disaster when we all you know, got together. And um, my mom and Aunt Kathy often liked to go shopping. And so this one day, they took us along shopping. And we went to a, a women's clothing store and a fabric store, which is not a good place for young boys to be, uh, of any age for that matter, but I, I digress. So uh, my t- cousin Tim and I are around the same age. We were about four or five at the time. And um, we tended to get into mischief, you know, whenever we'd get together. And so on that day, uh, while Mom and Kathy were shopping for fabric to sew something, I don't remember what it was for, but um, we decided to explore the store. And as you can imagine, not a lot's going to hold the interest of a boy in a, in a fabric store. And so we began to play hide-and-seek. And I decided that I would hide, the, you know, the, the clothing racks, you know, uh, that with the, in the circle. I, I climbed up in the middle of that and hid there, and I was really quiet. And after a while, Tim gave up on finding me. And it seemed like hours, but it was probably only 10 or 15 minutes. And um, I began to realize I didn't recognize any voices in the store. And I began to panic, and I crawled out, and I began looking around frantically for, for somebody that I knew. And I went into the women's changing room area. And um, that, was, that was a little bit of a shock for a four- or five-year-old boy. And my, they quickly made sure that I found uh, my mother. At any age, being lost is not fun. And it's no way to go through life either. Today we are continuing our sermon series as we look at the parables of Jesus. And uh, the parables of Jesus, are I just love them because they're short, pithy stories when Jesus paints pictures that we can relate to. And we learn something about God's character, who he is, what's important to him. We learn something about ourselves as human beings, or we learn something about how to relate to the people uh, around us. And um, today we come to a short parable, a well-known parable, the parable of the lost sheep. 
And uh, although it's a short parable and it's well known, there's a truth in this that needs to be told again and again because we learn something fundamental about us as human beings, about God and about the church and what should be important to the church. So I encourage you, if you're not still there, to turn to, uh, to Luke 15 as we look at this parable uh, of the lost sheep again. Now, it's been said that you can tell a lot about a person by the company that they keep. I'm sure you've all heard that. Um, in, in some cases, it's true. You can maybe tell who somebody feels comfortable with, who they're drawn to, maybe what they value. With that in mind, let's take a look at verses 1 and 2, where Luke begins by saying, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now if there's ever a scripture sentence, a sentence in scripture that we should cling to, it's this one. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's there's just something about Jesus that draws people to him. That's welcoming. And the rejects and the tax collectors and and the sinners felt comfortable with him. But the religious types, the Pharisees, the teachers of the, of the law, the highly educated, they, they didn't. The good news that Luke wants to communicate to us at the very beginning is that Jesus welcomes sinners like, like us. And that's a comforting thought. But only if we admit we're a sinner. For Jesus welcomes sinners and, and only sinners. It's because of this that Luke begins chapter 15. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He wants us to know that Jesus welcomes all who admit their need, who know that they are lost. And to drive this point home, Luke then records three parables that Jesus taught. Last week, we looked at the third one in chapter 15, the prodigal son. There's a short one right after the lost sheep called the the parable of the lost coin, which a woman loses a coin and she searches her house for it. But we want to look at the parable of the lost sheep. Now, in the Bible, we are most often compared to sheep. As human beings, we're compared to sheep. David the psalmist, himself a shepherd, repeatedly uses this analogy over and over. For example, Psalm 100, we are God's people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 77, God, you lead your people like a flock. Psalm 79, we your people... And sheep of your pasture will give you thanks for. And then, of course, Psalm 23, the most well-known psalm, where David says, "The Lord is my shepherd." So David himself saw himself, you know, as sheep. Now, I could go on citing scriptures after scriptures that infer we are similar to sheep, and I I think God inspired the writers of scripture to use this, this this comparison, because of all the animals that God created, the species this species sheep are the ones that need the most guidance, who are in the most need of of saving. Now, first of all, no insult intended. I mean, we're all in the same boat here, you and I. But sheep are on the whole pretty unwise, pretty stupid and stubborn animals. I mean, ask yourself, have you ever seen a a group of trained sheep? No. You see trained dogs, trained cats, you see dolphins, rats, mice, Whales, horses, but not trained sheep. Sheep tend to wander off easily because perhaps they can't see very far, less than 15 yards. And no matter how many times you bring a wayward sheep back, 
they are prone to wander off again because they do not tend to learn from their own mistakes, previous mistakes. Sheep are defenseless and dependent. Think about this. They have no natural defense. They don't have fangs. They don't have horns. They don't have quills in the tail like a porcupine. They don't have claws. They don't have a stink bag like a skunk. They're totally defenseless and dependent. In his book, All the Places to Go, How Will You Know, John Ortberg asks, or says, this explains why you do not see a sheep as a mascot for a sports team. I mean, I know they're, they're the rams, right? But they're, they're not the white, fluffy kind of sheep. They're you know, like the bighorn sheep, you know, rams, tough rams. Quoting from his book, he says, There are bears, tigers, diamondbacks, wolverines, badgers, sharks, eagles, hawks, bulls, panthers, bengals, raptors, bobcats, broncos, and grizzlies. He says, but I don't know of a single team, professional, college, or high school, called the Sheep. I mean, the San Francisco Sheep just doesn't inspire anybody. So they're defenseless. Sheep are also top-heavy. They have spindly little legs, which makes them slow. They have no camouflage. I mean, they're white, for goodness sakes. They're susceptible to all kinds of diseases and will even eat too much, making themselves sick if you let them. Finally, sheep are easily frightened and, and uh, confused. It doesn't take much to scramble the mental yoke of a nervous sheep. They've been even known to plunge straight over the edge of a, of a high precipice, one falling right after another, like lemmings. In fact, I was reading this week about a, a group of shepherds in Agivas, Turkey. And they, saw, they were having breakfast and they saw this lone sheep plunge right over the edge of a cliff to its death. But what really stunned them was, was what they saw next. Each of the nearly 1,500 sheep followed his example. Every single sheep going over the cliff, 450 of them dying. The only ones who survived were the ones that landed on the, the dead bodies below. Now, God does not compare us to sheep to insult us or to put us down. I mean, the Bible tells us we're created in his image, that we are the crown of his creation, Psalm 8 that he sent Jesus to die for, so he values us. He makes this comparison because he wants, us, he wants us to understand one very important truth. We are designed to need a guide. We need a shepherd. We need a, a savior. Mark 9.36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We, 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 as, as human beings, we have a need to be saved, we are lost without Christ. And Jesus welcomes those who need to be saved. Now, some people know they're lost. Some people will go through life and they're spinning their wheels. They're trying to fill a void inside. They, they, they wonder if their life is pointless. They feel cut off, alone, isolated, wandering, stuck in ruts and routines. Sometimes people are lost and they don't know it. They, they might have some kind of faith. And they might pray once in a while, might believe in some sort of cosmic God. But there's really no substance. Jesus said people are like sheep. We keep wandering off. We keep getting lost, keep getting into trouble. The prophet Isaiah said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to their own way. So the first point is that we are sinners, and yet Jesus welcomes us. The second is that God treasures us as lost people, 
and he rejoices when we're found. The shepherd says what? Rejoice with me, I have found my, my lost sheep. Now, now, Wes began with the question, have you ever lost something important? Well, we all have, right? I know I have. I've lost my wallet, my keys, my, some bills, papers, lost my kids for a short time. I've lost some hair. I even lost my wedding ring once. So what do you do when you lose something really important? You turn over every leaf, over every stone. You look at every nook and cranny. You try to rack your brain and retrace your steps. Where did I leave it? Where is it? You search for it. And the more important that it is, the more prolonged, more determined, and more intense and passionate the search. So it is with God. We matter more to him than anything else in all creation. And when we are lost, he comes looking for us. And so Jesus tells us this parable. There's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. They're in a field. And it must be nighttime at the end of the day. And before he takes them back to the fold, he does a head count. One, two, three, so on. Ninety-six, ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. He recounts again. There's one missing. What does he do? He leaves the 99 behind in the field and he goes looking for the one that's lost. We've all seen the pictures, you know, of, of Jesus with a sheep over his shoulders, carrying it was a shepherd's crook, carrying that lamb home, the lost lamb home. Or, or maybe Jesus is going up the side of a, of a mountain and, and you can see this lamb up on a ledge and Jesus is headed that direction to, to save him. Jesus cares deeply about lost people. Listen to this story as Matthew tells it in uh, Matthew 18. And it comes after Jesus has just taken a young child and put him in the middle of this crowd of people. And he warns them about misleading children. And Jesus says this, Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So does not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. It's not the will of God that one of these little ones should be lost. It's not what God wants for people. It's not his will, not his, not his wish. Lost people matter to God. I mean, you could paraphrase John 3.16 and say, for God so loved those who were lost in this world that he gave his only son. And, and Jesus describes his job, his mission statement in, in Luke 19. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God is, is love, the Bible tells us. And this is what love does. It pursues the lost. It's not satisfied. God is not satisfied until his children are brought safely into the fold. We matter to God. And because we do, he searches for us when we go astray. The third point is implied, but it's critical. God wants the church to seek the lost. I want to ask a, a series of questions. Honestly, do you believe that people can be lost? Do you believe that lost people matter to God? Do you care about lost people? Do you pray for and befriend? Do you seek opportunities to help people who are far from God move towards God? 
Do you reach out to those who need Jesus Christ? John Yates is a retired uh, pastor in the D.C. area, and he wrote that after he spoke on this parable of the lost sheep, one of his high school boys in the, in the youth group came to him and afterwards and said, you know, I've got two buddies at school, and we eat together every day in the cafeteria. We like to look around and eat, to, you know, but, but before we do, we, we like to look around and, and see if there's somebody sitting by themselves. And if there is, one of us goes and sits with that person. Those kids get it. Lost, lonely people. Isolated people. They matter to God, and they, and, and they should to us too. You know, a while back, our staff took turns uh, in our time together where we would share our, our kind of spiritual journeys and stories. You know, people who influence us and scripture passages that were important to us. And, 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 and we, we talked about how we'd come to faith in Christ, how God had sought us out when we were lost set apart from him, and, and how he found us and, and, and saved us and, and cared for us and loved us. It was, it was a really incredible time to be able to share that. It was a privilege to hear each other's stories about the lost had been found. And that's what the church is supposed to be about. People being found by God. People finding God, putting trust in Christ. Children, young people, coming to sincere faith. Adults, sometimes cynical, wayward, hurting adults, we've all been there, come to faith in Christ. People just going through the motions, using God, coming to their senses, repenting and getting serious about their faith in Christ. And God wants to do that through us as individuals. He wants to do that through us as a church to care deeply about the lost because we ourselves were once lost and now we're found. And because God cares deeply for those who do not yet know him. There's a a great Jewish story that tells of a celebration in heaven after the the Red Sea incident. Remember, the the people of Israel are, are trapped against the Red Sea and And God works through Moses, opens the Red Sea, they walk through, the Egyptian army falls, the the waves crash down, the Egyptian army is is destroyed. And in the story, the angels are cheering and dancing, everybody's full of joy. And then one of the angels says to the archangel, Michael, where's God? Why Why isn't God celebrating? And Michael answers, God is not here because he's off by himself, weeping. Many thousands were lost today. God has placed people in your life. People who need to know the love of Christ through words and through deeds. People who are lost, who maybe don't know it or maybe they do know it, but but God has a burden and a heart for them. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are to be about reconciling others to Christ. God seeks the lost, so should we. God wants to use you, God will use you as you seek him, as you reach out, as you tell others about the love of the God who seeks the lost. So great is his love for all people that he sends his only son that we might be found. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your love for us. We're grateful that you are a God who initiates with us, who seeks us, who pursues us. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that that you seek and value the lost. May we have the same value, Father. May we have the same burden and compassion. Lord, that we would be humble but intentional about sharing our faith with those who need to know you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you truly are the good shepherd, that you are the friend of sinners. And so, Lord, we come before you again with gratitude, with humility. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.